you're listening to The Parent Classroom, a space for quick conversations on how to nurture your child's education. I'm your host, Komal Shah, a former teacher turned consultant who fundamentally believes that every parent has the power to raise their child consciously within the K-12 schooling system. I cannot wait to bring you on this journey. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode. Okay, today is special once again because we have a guest on the podcast. And I love not only bringing guests, but I love when it's a dear, dear friend. And I had the pleasure of knowing this person by meeting them actually over LinkedIn during the pandemic. And we started talking about all things consciousness and mindfulness. And he is also the CEO and founder of Banyan Global Learning. And so he has some education background, but is also a parent. So I am so excited to introduce Seth Fleischauer. Hello there, Seth. Hello, Como. It's wonderful to be here today on your podcast. I know. I was so excited to have you, especially because I feel so many of our conversations are about education, but now they're about parenting too. So we're meshing the two. I feel as if almost maybe they are related. (laughs) Are they? I had no idea. Is that why it's called the parent classroom? (laughs) You know, it's, uh, it, it is a very interesting position being an educator by trade and then becoming a parent and sitting in this other seat over here. Uh, But maybe we'll get into a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly why I invited you on. Um, And I always like to start out with a question about you, Seth. And Mm. the question is, what type of student were you growing up? An excellent one. (laughs) Okay. According to the traditional system in which I excelled. Uh, Yeah, I I was a um, straight-A student, uh, very socially isolated, partially because Mm. I never, I didn't have like the social intelligence to like navigate being both competitively achieving and also like socially likable. (laughs) Uh, So it, um, I figured that out later in life, but, um, but it was, uh, it it was basically the only thing I was really good at was school. And Mm -hmm. I did, I did a really good job at being told what to learn and then learning it. Um, I'm a visual learner. So I was able to like kind of read something once and remember it. And because of that, I did really well in like standardized tests and, and, you know, was tops in my class and went to an Ivy League school, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I, I was, I was a very good student by the traditional definition of good student. That makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting that we connected because I feel that I was that student too, but I don't see it as an excellent student. Surprisingly, I kind of see it that I was like, a good girl hmm. and obedient, even though technically I achieved. <laughs> and, and I meant excellent, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. You know I feel a little bit differently about all this nowadays. Yeah, 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 of course. Okay, so I before we talk about grades, because that's really why I wanted to get you on the show, I wanted to ask you, based on your experience of just excelling as a student, like how has that influenced your kids now? Is there a certain mindset you have because of your personal experience? 
because of. That is a hard line to draw. Mm. One would one would think that as a person who excelled in the traditional system and became an educator and uh it, by all by all definitions is a successful person, you know, like I I have my own company, I've been running it for 15 years. I enjoy what I do. I, I love love what I do. Um you would think that I would kind of draw that straight line from like, well, if you do good on grades, you become successful like me. And uh, I think my experience in education specifically has made it so that I don't, I don't draw that, that straight line of causality anymore. Mm, Okay. So interesting. Tell me about like, what was that tipping point? Um, in how you perceive grades now, was it because of being a teacher or was it something different? It was because of being a teacher in a very specific setting. So when I began teaching, I was at uh, PS123 in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> that was a more traditional setting. And uh, I actually took to it really well. I, I, um, I think that I think it kind of came from like my dad's parenting style. Like he was a fairly authoritarian presence in the household and very caring mm. and loving and supportive, but like it was his way, right? Like that was the way that you followed. And I brought I kind of channeled that going into this like inner city classroom in Bushwick, Brooklyn and and did a really good job at it. Like I I I was good being the center of power in the room. But then when I moved to the Earth School in Lower Manhattan and I was introduced to progressive pedagogy, it was much more challenging for me to succeed as a teacher in that setting. But it really spoke to my heart in a way mm. that the other system did not. Uh, and so I think that the tipping point for me was was getting a job in that, in that school and then uh, seeing the the like heart forward community and culture of a place that centered students first and Mm. just being so inspired by that. And it's carried me through uh, where I am right now, like two decades later. Um, I feel that you, uh, your dad and my dad would have been very good friends. (laughs) Uh, This whole authoritarian. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Sometimes authoritarians don't get along with each other. So maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But I definitely know that my dad was the type of dad who was like, if you don't get a 95, if you get a 95%, why did you miss the last 5% and not get a hundred? You know, like that was was the house we grew up in. To be clear, that was not my dad. Like my dad was very proud of me for for getting the grades that I got. Uh, But he wasn't like a grade centric person. He was like, are you putting in your best effort? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And if you are, then we're good. Um, And, you know, my siblings showed intelligence in different ways and he was extremely supportive of that. It was more about like sort of rule breaking, right? Like, so as a teacher, I was really good at classroom management because I had this Mm. style of like being um, super nice and fun and funny and then like flipping on a dime and being like, you don't do that, not in here. And that sort of like, uh, you know, 
instability, that culture of instability <laughs> really, really works to like keep kids in line, right? Like if they don't know like which version of you they're going to get at any given moment, they're going to be on their toes and they're going to be ready to like snap to attention. Um, mm. so, so that, that worked. And I think that it was something that, that, yeah, that kind of came from, from my dad and, and, you know, there were a lot of positive things that came out of that for me. Like I stayed in line because of that. Like I had multiple mm -hmm. points when I was growing up when I could have gone the wrong way and yeah. partially because of his, um, uh, strict disciplinary style, especially when I was younger. And then he let up more when I was in like high school. Um, that's part of the reason why I stayed on the straight, straight path. Mm -hmm. So if you were based on just experience with your dad growing up and then going to do different schools as an educator, what is kind of, if you were to share kind of your philosophy around grades before we talk <laughs> about your own kids, like what would you say has, what is the conclusion basically come to for you now? Are we allowed to curse on the program? <laughs> if you can make it PG, that would be nice. You know, if there are parents with kids in the yeah. car listening. <laughs> um, I, 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 I do not have the respect for grades that I, that I once did. And there's just a mm. huge question mark for me, uh, having been on the other side, giving grades of like, okay, well, what are we grading for? Mm. Right. And, and, and who, like, how am I the person, like what enables me to make that call to mm. rank a student in that way? Yeah. Because that's what I think it is. I think it's just rankings, right? Like when we're giving grades, we're essentially saying there is a hierarchy in the class and mm -hmm. and and this particular skill, this is the hierarchy, number one through number 26. And in this particular skill, this is the, or, or I should not say skill, I should say uh, area of skills, right? The, this, mm. this general area of, of, of achievement. Uh, here's the ranking for this and here's the ranking for this, right? Because like, even if you inflate your grades, you still have an order, right? Like mm -hmm. one kid's still getting an A and another kid's getting an A minus. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're essentially just comparing 26 kids to each other. Um, and you don't necessarily have a great idea of like what the kids in the other class are doing. You're hoping that it's like, you know, kind of, I, I, just, I see it as I see, I used to see grades as the entire point. And now I see it as just a small part of the picture. Hmm. Oh my gosh. I love that analogy. And I also think it just speaks to not only when you're on the other side giving grades, but then when one, you see the kid internalize that grade mm. uh, and just believing that they're not good enough or the parent's going to be disappointed in them or there's just this level of pressure that if I don't get this A grade, like am I going to be accepted, right? Yeah. Am I going to be deemed as smart and acceptable by the system? And yeah. I think that's tough, you know? And it just feels so arbitrary. Like, I don't know other teachers out there, you know, report card time is this like extremely stressful time where you're just trying to hammer mm. out these report cards. And there's a lot of kids that come across <laughs> your desk where you're just like, I don't know, a three? I'll give this kid a three. That sounds right because I'm giving everyone like a two <laughs> or a three. And maybe that was just me. Um, but it, at, at the Earth School, uh, we did narrative reports. So even more stressful, three-page descriptions of each kid. Wow. Right? It was a lot of work. But what I loved about the process was that if I got to Jimmy's math score and I couldn't describe it, I had to go back and spend time with Jimmy 
enough time to be able to describe his achievement in math. And so there's still some of this like subjective stuff going on. There's still, it is still an absolutely imperfect system, but trying to reduce an entire part of this kid's brain to a letter versus reducing it to a paragraph, (laughs) you know, it feels, feels better to me. Yeah. That's so interesting because I know you said that was also very painful. <laughs> so it's it like hard. what actually, yeah, yeah, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and this school did a good job of supporting us through it. Um, and ideally the system would adjust to be able to uh, to provide teachers the room to do, to do stuff like that. And, uh, teach, Lord knows teachers' jobs are already hard enough without requiring a six-week yeah. process in the middle of the year where they have to write, you know, 75 pages but um but yeah the the even if you just look at it as uh asking yourself as a teacher or as 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 a parent right like asking yourself can i describe my young learners relationship to math can i describe mm-hmm. my young relationships my young learners relationship to reading to mm-hmm. history like can do i know what they love do i know what they don't love do mm. I, do I, uh, have I asked them why, you know, um, if you can, you don't have to write all the pages in order to go through the exercise of just un- mm-hmm. be, you know, putting yourself in a position where you could write it if you could, if you, if you had to. Yeah. Okay. So this is great. Cause this segues into your kids. Mm. So you have two kiddos, Vita and Pax. And I just want to hear more about like what grades they are, what schools they go to. And also like, what is the context of grades and the messaging coming from the two respective schools they go to? Okay. Um, First of all, in in terms of ranking students, um, I would just like to put out there that my kids are the best. <laughs> There's your plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my kids go to very different schools and are very different learners. Mm. Uh, so so my son Pax goes to a Montessori school, mm-hmm. uh, a public Montessori, and it is. Um, you know, it's, it's Montessori, right? So there's, there is a ton of exploration within a, a, a fairly uh, prescribed structure, right? Um, they're all about uh, curating and cultivating an environment within which the students can do their own explorations. However, there are rules that they need to engage with and learn about before they're allowed to do that exploration. Uh, it is uh, I got to give credit to my wife here, um, who had this sort of gut feeling that this was going to be a good uh, place for him, and it absolutely is. I was coming at it from like um, my parents were divorced, and I went to a different school than my sisters, and that was so hard mm-hmm. for me to like to be separated yeah. from them and feel alone at the school that I was at, especially when I didn't have many friends anyway. And so the idea of splitting them apart where Vita was going to the neighborhood school and Pax was going to this public charter down the road was was really hard for me. But my wife had an intuition about it and she's absolutely right. It is an incredible place for him. Just perfect. He's a, he's a little explorer. He loves to be in control of, uh, of what he's learning. He's also a pretty good rule follower, although he will absolutely test the limits of those rules. Um, but Is he your son? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking more and more like me every day. Um, 
And he, yeah, so he just, he absolutely excels. And then in the context of the pandemic where we got kind of a front row seat to my daughter's school that was less than, uh, less than, than what I hoped it would be. We'll say that. Um, Mm. uh, I think it comes down to this. Um, you know, we, we live in Portland and across the river, uh, in the, in Washington, the, students uh, in in the Washington school districts had uh, one-to-one laptops in their hands uh, by like April of 2020. And they Mm -hmm. were doing distance learning. Uh, Portland Public Schools didn't have synchronous learning at all until Mm -hmm. September. So parents were just told like, here's six months that you can have now and nothing, just like worksheets, you know. Can you elaborate on uh, synchronous learning for those who may not know what that is? Oh, sorry. So like eventually what happened is that the teacher got on on Zoom and was teaching them on Zoom, which is, you know, imperfect when mm-hmm. when they're unprepared for it, which they also were. There just wasn't like the the training. Um, I think that, uh, and, and my, my daughter's teacher did a fine job. Um, given the circumstances, but as a distance learning professional, such as I am, it was very frustrating to see the lack of, um, of like system wide support, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and training for teachers. Uh, it was always seen as this like thing that they had to like get through for today and not this thing. It's like, okay, let's, let's try to actually make this good, not just survive. And it never, the conversation never got there, even though it lasted an Mm -hmm. entire year. Um, whereas, uh, so, so that, so during the pandemic and then and then she 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 came back from the pandemic and it just wasn't i just didn't see like the love of learning that i had seen in her previously like she started to become disengaged at school she was getting kind of bored yeah. and in the response to the pandemic um the school was really focusing on uh on the kids who didn't have the kind of support systems at home that my daughter mm-hmm. did right which is yeah. totally understandable for a system that is stressed to uh to uh, uh, respond in that way. Um, but we thought maybe let's try her at the Montessori school. So we tried her there and she, she didn't like it. Um, she, and I don't know if it's, it's, it's just that she kind of uh, understands my psychology well enough, but, uh, <laughs> she essentially was like, you know, dad, like for me, it's all about community and my community is at my old school. And when it comes down to it, I think I excel in the traditional system because I just want people to like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm really good at that. You know, like, (laughs) so she, so that convinced me, uh, to, um, to put her back at her old school kind of against the, the, the desires of my wife. She was more like, she kind of wanted to like force her to be at this, this, uh, at my son's school for like a full year, like give her a full year. Part of our Mm -hmm. problem was that we did not, we did not establish expectations of time before we started this experiment. So what we should have done Mm -hmm. is said like, you are going to give it till at least this time. And that was kind of fuzzy. So that was a big parenting miss on our part. Uh, if, uh, and, and my wife and I get into this conversation about like, should we force our kids to do things that we think are good for them that, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that they don't want to do. Right. And mm-hmm. I think th- what we've come around to is that like, we need them to agree to do a thing for a certain amount of time. And if they are going to, uh, if we're going to pay for it or enroll them or make some changes, like they, they have to stick to it for that amount of time. But after that amount of time, we'll let them quit if they want to, especially at this young phase of childhood where, where it's all about 
exploration anyway. But my wife and my philosophies of education kind of come into conflict with each other during some of these conversations where she is a bit more old school and is just like, well, you know, this is the, this is the way it should be. So this is the way it's going to be. Whereas through my, uh, kind of radicalization, um, that has happened, uh, through, through my professional experiences, um, and also through meeting radicals like you on LinkedIn. Um, I have, uh, uh, sorry, should I not characterize you as a radical? Yeah. I feel like. I mean, I've, this is the first time I'm hearing it, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> I feel like, some, you know, some of your ideas, our ideas about education when, when put when put in comparison with what actually happens in the classroom are fairly, you know, they're fairly radical, yeah. right? Like, um, yeah. like, oh yeah, you should let kids be in control of their learning. Yeah. Um, but uh, that philosophy uh, plays into these conversations where I'm like, I just want her to lead her learning, right? Like, and right. I and I understand that there is value to like committing to a thing, but I also feel like we've the pandemic is kind of. Uh, brought us into this consciousness moment where people aren't necessarily committed to something that is not working for them anymore. And that can happen, that can like sort of flip on a dime and, and, yeah. and personal uh, situations can happen that uh, mean that all of a sudden this doesn't work. And I feel like the old school way of thinking is like, well, that doesn't matter. You made a commitment. And I feel like this new consciousness around personal well-being puts us in a situation where it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, so a lot of stuff there, which is <laughs> Sorry, great. there was a lot. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I, I just had questions that were coming up as you were speaking, which is always a good thing. And I was going to actually just rewind back a little bit and ask you, between your son and your daughter's schooling, um, or, or the schools that they go to, what's the kind of context of grades? Like, is one emphasizing grades and the one doesn't? Are they both kind of having that narrative that grades are important. I'm just interested to kind of know that context. Um, I think I think you have to understand a little bit the cultural context of Portland. Okay. To see that um, in both schools, grades are very much de-emphasized. Oh, okay. Interesting. Tell me more. Um, I, like, I haven't heard anything from any of their teachers about, like, a grade. Mm. Right? Like, like, we get a report card... I always skip over the great. No, sorry, that's not entirely true. If my kids don't get straight A's or fours or threes, whatever it is, I do get a little bit like, well, what happened here?" Yeah. <laughs> you know. But but I'm I'm looking at the comments, right? And what I'm looking for in the comments is, does the teacher know my kid? <laughs> right. Yeah. And if and if the teacher and that's where it's like it's not fair for teachers to be uh, the teachers of kids whose parents are teachers. Right? Like, right. A, <laughs> that is a complicated thing. But um, but yeah, I just want to know, do they know my kid? And if they know my kid, then then they've communicated mm. something to me on the report card mm -hmm. that I can work with, that I know that my kid can work on. And, and that's where we go from there. It's just a conversation, right? And, and in Portland, I think that that's pretty standard. There's not a lot of like, oh, maybe it's just because my kids aren't like failing at things. You know, the worst that they would get is like mm. a middle grade or whatever. Um, but it does not feel like it's emphasized at all. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, is that when it comes to grades, one, your kids are in a culture or a school setting that does not emphasize it directly or as like, as you kind of said, it's not the big picture. It's just a little part of their learning. And then two, I'm hearing from a parenting perspective, you are kind of 
having those conversations, but you have like values and other things that you care more about than the grade. So my question to you is if that, if the parent who's out there, who's going, I, I do care about this stuff and I care about consciousness and I care about the teacher, you know, caring for my child. And also they go to a school where grades are emphasized and they go to a school where, you know, they are getting the report card and they feel forced to have that conversation. I guess my question to you is like, what are the first one or two steps you would want that parent to go through in order to de-emphasize that grade? Okay, so you're telling me that there's a situation where a parent wants to be a conscious parent and their kid's school is emphasizing grades. Yes. I Can I push back and ask, how are they emphasizing grades? Good question. I feel that because of the pressure of the school in a traditional setting, parents also may already have adopted the perspective that grades are important. So I would say it's up to the, any given parent about whether or not they want to continue to adopt that perspective. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Like it, like it's a choice. It's a choice. You know, like, like the school is going to do what they need to do, which is report the grades Mm -hmm. to you. And then you Mm -hmm. can decide whether or not you feel that's important. And so I would say, I would give that, that parent the advice to like dig deeper. Right. So Mm -hmm. if there's, you know, if there's some sort of low grade, find out why, find out what has been, what was expected of your kid that they did not deliver on and then mm-hmm. find out for yourself about whether or not you think that's important. Yeah. So you do the conversation with the kiddos around the grades. What's your, uh, you mentioned your partner has a different perspective. So when you're having these conversations with the kids around grades, does your wife kind of chime in or she kind of lets you handle it? <laughs> yeah, that's tough because she does feel like there's a bit of a power dynamic, a power differential here because I'm the educator, right? And mm-hmm. And so she, I think she would say that she feels that she sort of shies away from really voicing her opinion and then that gets repressed mm-hmm. and then it comes out in like some sort of like a strong kind of outburst about it. Uh, we just had an yeah. argument the other day um, about whether or not my daughter could quit piano. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she – so we have such different – stories, my wife and I, Mm. right? So I was in all the gate and AP classes and I had a stable family life and, or sorry, relatively stable family life. I, I, my, my parents owned a home, right? So I was in the Mm -hmm. same place for 18 years and, um, she grew up moving around all the time with some parents who were not very stable people Mm. and, uh, and was she was like in the gifted program or whatever they called it back then and then was like yanked out of it. And then by the time she, they like went back to where they were, she was like out of the gifted program, right? So mm-hmm. um, so she ended up uh, like with a very atraditional educational path and uh, really started, started working, started in, uh, into the work world way earlier than I did and mm-hmm. is an incredibly successful person because she's incredibly capable and hardworking and has good values and uh, is able to like navigate the, you know, social, political and, um, and like, you know, work aspects of any given uh, job that she has. So she's, she's very, very successful person. Um, and and that success does did not come as a result of succeeding within the traditional system. 
Whereas mm. you could argue that some of my success came from succeeding within the traditional system. So one would think that like I'd be the person being like, you got to get good grades. And she'd be the person being like, well, there are other ways to do it. And it's exactly the opposite. Like I have such admiration for her and what mm-hmm. she was able to accomplish without tr- uh, succeeding in the traditional system. And I think she looks at me in the exact same way of like, look at Mr. Fancy Ivy League man and like what he's been able to do. And and we kind of project that onto our kids where she kind of, she wants them to be more like me and I want them to be more like her. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that you're not the only one who has different perspectives with your partner around education. And I think when you and I have these conversations, we laugh because we're like, oh my God, education is so personal. Mm-hmm right? It is so personal to every person. And I think when it comes to parenting, how much of that experience do we bring in, right? That context in either doing it the same for your kid or doing it radically different based on your own experience, right? I think it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think my advice for people who are in situations like that, like my wife and I do well when we take like 14 steps back and we're like, we both want what's right for our kid, right? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's start from the fact that like we both love our kids and want them to be successful. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. what does success look like for you? Okay. Yeah. You know, and like in kind of, you know, building it up from there. And then we usually end up in the same place, right? And we usually end up in some sort of compromise and that, you know, that's how we in this piano quitting conversation we came to like, okay, you know, I I I respect that you feel that committing to something is an important skill to learn at 10. I don't agree necessarily. I think she could learn it a little later and now is better for experimentation, but I I respect that you feel that way. So the compromise is let's establish a amount of time beforehand, have her sign up or not sign up for that. So there's that, there's my piece of like personal, uh, you know, having, let giving her some, some personal choice in the matter. Um, and, and then if she agrees to it, then we we will enforce that she has to stay into it, right? So we were able to come to that compromise in that way by taking all those steps back and talking about what success looked like for us. Oh my gosh. I think you just plugged in my episode two right there, Seth, <laughs> of unlearning success for your child. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Say more. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Unlearning success? Um, I talk a lot about the different steps parents have to take to redefine what success looks like mm. for their child, right? Because a lot of it is perpetuated from, from their own upbringing. Oh, God. God, yes, so much of it, and 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 that's okay, right? They're your kid, yeah. right? Like, yeah, um, you part of your job is to like impart some of your stuff on them, right? Like, right, like, and so, but it, to what extent, right? That's the question. Yeah. Okay. So to to recap this conversation, um, I heard dig a little deeper, parent, which uh, was a great statement. And also to de-emphasize grades by just having honest conversations and figuring out what your values for your kids are. So that way, that's what you can truly assess. Is there anything else you would want to add to that? Yeah. I would just kind of combine those two into one thing, which is like discover the story behind the grade. Love it. Right. Yeah. Um, because the grade is is an approximation. Mm-hmm. So, what is the story behind that? And in that story, you will find your opportunity for growth. Oh, I love that. 
Well, thank you so much, Seth. I know you wanted to share about another podcast, so I'll give you the floor right now to do that. <laughs> well, I, I am no stranger to being on the mic with Miss Komal Shaw uh, because we have a podcast together called Make It Mindful, <laughs> uh, which is about bringing a mindfulness lens to educational issues. So if you're enjoying this podcast and you love the sound of Komal and my voice together, uh, you're going <laughs> to love even more Lauren, who I think you also interviewed for this podcast at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's our she's our third, uh, and we have a wonderful time breaking down different educational issues each time we meet and applying a mindfulness lens to them. So, if you like this, please please click out of it once you're done and go on over to make it mindful. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Seth, for bringing both your educator and your parent lens. And I know a lot of parents out there will, I think sometimes parents also need to feel some grace for themselves and towards themselves. And I feel a lot of this conversation hopefully can give them some sense of grace. So thank you so much. And I I hope Portland is serving you well. (laughs) (laughs) Yet another thing my wife and I disagree on. (laughs) (laughs) all right everyone thank you so much thanks como bye thank you thank you for showing up as a parent but not only just for yourself but for your child as you consciously make shifts for their schooling To connect with me, follow at The Parent Classroom on Instagram and join my email newsletter to stay tuned for more resources for you and your child. If you are interested in consciousness and education, you can find my book, Raise Your Hand, A Call for Consciousness and Education, now on Amazon. Till next time. Bye.